You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. All right, crew, before we wrap up Philippians chapter 4, I want to share with you a new series that we're starting next Sunday, and it's called A Generous Life. A generous life. We're going to take three weeks and discover what a generous life looks like. And the major theme, the big idea, the whole concept is this. A generous life reflects God's character. Because he's the God of generosity, he's the God of blessing, and he is the God of trust. So over three weeks you're going to hear myself, Robin, and Jeff each tackle one of these subjects here and in Medina. It's going to be great. I just encourage you to invite a neighbor, invite a family member, invite a friend to come and hear this series. And when you do make that invite, be sure to write their names on the ping pong balls, okay? Put them in the fish tank. We still have the go and tell challenge. And as of today, they're right at 600 ping pong balls that are in that tank. And we can celebrate that. That's awesome. 600 people that have been invited to church that have uh, had a testimony shared with them about Jesus. So I encourage you to keep that up because we still have a long way to go before the fish tank is filled. All right, so now let's wrap up Philippians. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to break down the entire chapter this morning as best as we can. If you've got your Bible apps on your phones, you can use that as well or you can follow along on the screen. Now remember the context here. Paul is writing this letter as he is under house arrest in Rome. This happened just a few years before he was martyred for his faith. So his life circumstance was bleak at best. But that didn't stop Paul from having an intentional joy. Paul was someone who didn't just talk the talk. He also walked the walk. And that's really the theme that we see in chapter 4. Intentional joy is active. Say it with me. Intentional joy is active. It's active in five different ways, and we're going to discuss those ways this morning. So if you've got your programs and a pen, there's one in front of you. Jot these down as we go through them. First of all, the first way joy is active is that it resolves conflict. It resolves conflict. Look at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown... Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul picks up where we left off last Sunday. And you realize that when the Bible was written, there were no divisions. There were no chapters and verses. It was one continuous note or one letter. And in verse 1, he tells them to stand firm in the Lord in this way. Well, what's he talking about? He's referring back to chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Here's what that says. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. It's in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds them as well as us of what our focus and our goal should be. It should be spending eternity in heaven with the Father. He reminds them of this because he is about to address conflict between believers and the church. They had obviously forgotten what the goal was. And here's what he says, verses 2 and 3. 
I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Now, we're not privy to what this disagreement of, was about. We don't know what the big uh, drama was. The only thing we know for sure is that two women, Euodia and Syntyche, in the church, they had a bitter disagreement between them. It was so profound that Paul heard all the way uh, in Rome about what was going on, and he felt the need to address it in this very public letter that was written to every Christian in the city of Philippi. This issue this conflict was causing some major problems. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. Have you ever had a disagreement with someone in the church? Yes, right? Almost every single one of us have had some kind of disagreement. Maybe it was with a fellow worshiper, a congregant. Maybe it was with a staff member or someone who served at the church. Now, chances are that if it was a big enough disagreement, one of two things happened. Either you or the person you argue with left the church or they may and went to a different church or maybe they left church altogether and just gave up on the faith. Sadly, this type of thing happens every single Sunday at churches across America, but it shouldn't, especially when it comes to issues that you and I can resolve. When you have a joy that is active, it resolves conflict. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that there are some, there are a few issues that will cause division, moral failure, doctrinal divides, lack of leadership, to name a few. However, I believe that most circumstances, most conflict between believers can be resolved by doing this one thing. Focus on the eternal, not the earthly. Focus on the eternal, not the earthly. That's what Paul says at the beginning of this chapter, and that's our challenge as well. That's what he referred back to in chapter 3. And if you missed last Sunday, uh, I encourage you to go to the website, listen to the podcast. Robin did a fantastic job of addressing some key issues that they were struggling with. And he talked about how we, uh, we in today's society, and even back then, they uh, liked personal preference instead of really what God wanted for the church. So he's kind of addressing that here in chapter 4 as well. Our citizenship is not on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. We must do everything in our power to live a righteous life, to point people to Jesus, to uh, elevate God as sacred and our personal preferences as obsolete, to keep the main thing the main thing, and lastly, to take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. Those should be our goals. That should be our objective. But it's hard to do if we're fighting amongst each other. If you and I cannot resolve conflict as believers in Christ, then why in the world would a non-believer decide to sign up for this? They wouldn't. They would look at us like we're crazy. They're like, why would I want to join this? All you guys do is bicker and fight and argue. I hate conflict because it rips churches apart and it prevents non-believers from joining the faith. Intentional joy that is active takes initiative to resolve conflict. And I'll peel back the curtain a little bit for you. I'm not perfect at this either. I've struggled with this. For example, 
I, I had a disagreement with uh, a brother in Christ who serves on the stage quite frequently. He's uh, part of the band. There's a lot of people part of the band. But uh, he and I had a disagreement over something, and I let it fester. He let it fester. Neither one of us addressed it with one another. So over six months, a very deep tension built where we were good and cordial. We could laugh and joke and talk to one another. We just kind of avoided each other for six months, and that was six months too long. Until finally, I said, look, enough's enough. We've got to sit down. We have got to talk about this. And so for three and a half hours, he and I met, and we talked. He talked, I listened, I talked, he listened. We prayed for each other, and God was able to, through that conversation, through the prayer, restore that relationship. And now we're good to go. Everything's fine. So I tell you that for two reasons. First of all, if you have a conflict with someone within the church, with a brother or sister in Christ, resolve it. Take initiative to resolve it. Secondly, don't wait six months. All right, that's, that's just too long and that's ridiculous. That was my fault for doing that. Resolve it today. Talk to them after the service. And when you do this, I encourage you to always lead with love and grace and gentleness and respect. That leads us to point two. A joy that is active, it rejoices in right choices. It rejoices in right choices. Read this with me, uh, verses four and five. Rejoice in the Lord always. We sound like, I don't know, I don't even want to put a name to what we sound like. Here's what it was. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Okay, there's an exclamation point there for a reason. So we're going to try this again and say it like we mean it. Read it like it's written. Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Yeah, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That word rejoice in the Greek is the word hyro, hyro, which means to be cheerful, to be glad, to be full of joy. And the truth is this, you and I cannot be full of joy if we've got bitterness, anger, hatred, discord, tension in our hearts towards someone else. Those two things cannot coexist. So Paul says, first of all, you have to resolve the conflict, and that will allow you to rejoice in right choices. Euodia and Syntyche and the other believers, they didn't have to listen to Paul, right? He wasn't there physically with them. He was under house arrest in Rome. They didn't have to listen to him. They didn't have to obey. He wasn't there to discipline them, and we honestly don't know what happened, we assume that the issue was resolved. I'm thinking positively here. We assume that it was resolved. We just don't know because there wasn't a second Philippians letter written. But Paul's challenge to them is the same challenge to us. To rejoice is a choice. To rejoice is a choice. Regardless of the circumstances, you and you only get to decide how you respond. You choose to rejoice. And I know that's easier said than done. But what if we flip the script here? What if instead of uh, being annoyed with school, what if we praise God for the education that we get to learn, right? 
Think about all the opportunities this week where you had an opportunity to rejoice. Did you rejoice when your kids ignored your request to clean up and go to bed for the 15th time? Did you rejoice when your boss gave you something last minute and it really messed up your evening plans and you had to stay and work overtime? Did you rejoice when an unexpected bill arrived in the mail? Did you rejoice when you had to spend a night in the hospital with a sick kid? What if we flipped the script? Instead, what if we praise God for every single circumstance, regardless of what it is? What if we praise God that we have a boss and a job that provides for our needs? What if we praise God instead of being angry and distraught that we have a good hospital to go to and doctors who are wise enough to take care of whatever is causing us problems? You see, how much joy we have, it's all about perspective. When we choose to look at life's circumstances through those eternal, godly lenses, it changes everything. The glass is always half full because as we just sang about, we see a victory. When we look at life through eternal lenses, we see a victory because we already know the end of the book. Because we know that Jesus has won. And if we have our faith in Jesus, then we are going to be victorious with him. He allows us to rejoice in the right choices that we make. A third way that joy is active. It requires prayer. It requires prayer. Look at verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the Christians that I know who are absolutely full of joy, they are people of prayer. They don't just talk about praying. They act it out. They live it out. They do it. Prayer is second nature to them. But if I'm being honest, the majority of Christians that I know that I have met are not comfortable with praying. Really not comfortable praying out loud whatsoever. And if I were to take a poll in here and ask you to raise your hands and stand up if you were comfortable praying right now for this service, stand up right now and do that, probably 10, maybe 15 people would be willing to pray out loud. Why is that? Why are we so afraid to pray. Prayer is nothing more than a conversation with our Heavenly Father. And it's one that's necessary, absolutely essential, if we want to have an active joy. I was taught a long time ago how to pray using this acrostic. It's old school, maybe you've heard it before. It's the ACTS acrostic, A C T S. What does that stand for? It's in your program. The A is adoration. That is simply sharing your love and your adoration for the characteristics and for the qualities of God, our creator, our sustainer. It's loving him for who he is and it's telling him about it. That's the adoration. That's how we should begin our prayers. And secondly, that C is confession. In humility, it is confessing our sins to God, admitting our shortcomings and our sorrow and repentance. Now, we don't confess because God doesn't know what took place. No, he knows everything, right? He already knows how we've screwed up. We confess, as Greg said earlier, for our healing. Confession is good for our souls. So in humility, we tell God how we've messed up so that he can heal us, so that we can be forgiven. And then that T is thanksgiving. 
Thanksgiving is acknowledging and praising God for his blessings in your life, whether that's your family or your friends or your job or your health, all these different things that we could thank God for. And the last thing, S, is supplication. That's just a fancy word that means request, petitions for not only our needs, but also for the needs of others. So most of the time, that's what we start and end with, don't we? We start and end with the supplication. God, I need you to do this for me right now. Father, I'm in a tough situation. Just help me out, and then I'll, I'll do this. We kind of make agreements with God like that's how God works, right? That's all we start and end with. We forget about the adoration and the confession and the thanksgiving. After I shared this first service, I had uh, a young guy come up to me. He's a uh, middle school volunteer, and he said, just this week uh, at the CIY conference of the middle schoolers, we talked about prayer, and he gave me a new acrostic that they shared. I love this one, all right? If you don't like the Acts acrostic, here's a new one for you. It's not on the screen because I just heard about it. Tacos. All right, how many of us love tacos? All right, tacos are great. Here's what it stands for. The T is for Thanksgiving, all right, starting with uh, praising God for what he's doing. The A is the adoration, praising God for his character and his qualities and his nature. The C is that confession piece, all right, confessing to God what we're going through, what we're struggling with. And the O is others, the S is for self. So that's the supplication kind of divided. We're taking time to pray for others, and we end up praying for ourselves. So there's two different uh, things that will help you to pray, acts and tacos. Choose one and do it. Don't let fear or the lack of knowledge of what to say or how to say it prevents you from praying. Prayer doesn't have to be long, and it doesn't have to be drawn out. It is simply a conversation with our Father. I love what Craig Rochelle says in his new book, Dangerous Prayers. He says, I worry that for a lot of people, prayer is like buying a lottery ticket, a chance at life here on earth that's problem-free and stress-free and pain-free. For others, prayer is merely a sentimental routine, like reciting favorite song lyrics or a beloved nursery rhyme from childhood. Yet others pray only because they feel even guiltier if they don't. But none of these prayers reflect the life that Jesus came to give us. Jesus didn't just challenge others to leave their own wills behind. He, too, lived a dangerous life. He touched lepers. He showed grace to prostitutes and stood bravely in the face of danger. Then he told us that we could do what he did and even more. And that's why we can't settle for simply asking God to bless our food or to be with us today. I love that. If you've never prayed, start today. Use one of these uh, acrostics. And if your prayers are repetitive, if they're safe, if they're simple, take them up a notch by praying bold, dangerous prayers. Paul says in everything, by prayer and petition, and don't miss this, with thanksgiving. That's going back to the attitude that we choose, rejoicing in right choices. Present everything to God. In every situation, pray to your Father. And when we do this, What's the outcome? Peace. Peace from God is the outcome. All right, that leads to the fourth point. An act of joy results in excellence. It results in excellence. The definition of excellence is the quality of being outstanding or extremely good. Excellence is near perfection. And when I think about excellence, one of the things that comes to my mind is this group of trick shot makers called Dude Perfect. Anybody heard of them? 
do perfect. Some of you have. My son Pryor loves them as do I. Here's just a small clip of what they do. Watch this. This is the boomstick. Man, talk about some energy and excitement. That is awesome. So they do this all the time. They've been doing it for 10 years, and that was one of their top 10 moments. I got to kind of watch and listen to them as they described it, and obviously, rarely, if ever, do they make a trick shot on the very first try. Right, he said it's once in about every five years they will make a trick shot on the first attempt. Typically, it is hours and hours and hours of straining for excellence and this particular shot took them three hours to do and no kidding he said they were at a college ballpark and the janitor said this is your last attempt I have to turn off the lights and I have to kick you out that's what happened and Tyler the guy that hit the shot he stepped up nailed it and it went in and they all went home and celebrated so I share that with you because you and I should strive and strain for excellence as well Look at Philippians 4, 8, and 9. It's one of my favorite verses. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Think about all the areas in your life where you are striving for excellence. We should want to be the best friend that we can be. We should want to be the best son and daughter, father, mother, spouse that we can be. We should want to be the best student and doctor, artist, mechanic, teacher, dental assistant, bus driver, pastor that we can be. We should strive for excellence in every single thing that we do. My dad always told me growing up, if something's worth doing, then it's worth doing well or right. All right, he told me right, well, same thing, right? The point is... Do it right. Do it with excellence. And that absolutely includes our relationship with Jesus. And what Paul says here in verses 8 and 9, it's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen accidentally. It requires effort on our part. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. Ponder on them. Put them into practice. So let me ask you a scary question. Was every single thought you had this week pure? Was it noble? Was it excellent or praiseworthy? Anybody? Nope, mine neither. Mine neither. For example, yesterday we were finishing up our seven-week season of coaching the kids at the YMCA Basketball League. We've been there seven Saturdays in a row, and uh, all three of my kids are on three different teams, kindergarten first, second, third, fourth through sixth, so I'm helping all three of them. And the kindergarten and first grade, 
got a little frustrated with those little ones yesterday because I'm trying to tell them they have to step out of bounds so that they can pass the ball in bounds. They were not getting the point. I'm literally physically pushing them out of bounds, saying, stay right here, then pass the ball in bounds. They wouldn't get it. I got a little frustrated as a coach because we've told them this for seven weeks, and they weren't quite getting it. But they're little. That's okay. Teaching fundamentals can be frustrating. I got a little upset with my 10-year-old daughter, Paley, who acts like she's going on 20. Dad, you might know what I'm talking about, right? She uh, back-talked me some this week and told me no when I asked her to do something for me. My first thought was not pure. <laughs> my first thought was not excellent, and it was not praiseworthy. But God kept reminding me, because I knew I was preaching on this verse, right? It had already been in my mind. He's like, Eric, you got to be noble, regardless of the circumstance. You have to be pure. You have to set the example of excellence in every situation. What that doesn't mean is that we have to be perfect, because perfection is unattainable. Thankfully, God does not require perfection from anybody, but he does require intentionality, sincerity, and efforts on our part. And that takes us to the final point. Paul wraps this up by saying that an active joy remembers generosity. It remembers generosity. Let's start in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had not, no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So let me pause right there, and let's focus on Philippians 4.13 right now. It is probably the second or third uh, most quoted translated verse in the Bible behind John 3.16. Everybody knows Philippians 4.13, and they talk about it all the time. Tim Tebow, who I love, famously put it on his eye black before every single football game, right? And it's used uh, to encourage people to get through a tough circumstance, to overcome a situation as it should be. But I don't want us to miss what Paul meant when he wrote these words. In context, he says, I can do everything pleasing to God through the power of Christ, Paul's union with Christ was the source of his contentment and the source of his strength in every situation. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Physically and financially, whether he had plenty or nothing, joy in Jesus is what got Paul through. So remember the context. I can do anything pleasing to God through the power of Christ. Ironically enough, I, I think about this. I saw it uh, just last week. John Jones, the MMA fighter, he's undefeated. There was a controversial victory last week. I'm not an MMA guy. I don't watch it particularly. I saw the highlights on uh, ESPN. But if you guys know who he is, he has Philippians 4.13 tattooed across his chest, like the whole thing. 
And so I just imagine as he's in the octagon beating somebody down, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I don't know that that was actually the content for what Paul meant, right? All things pleasing to God. So just remember that. Let's continue. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The Philippians expressed their joy in Christ by sending not only Epaphroditus, who was a, a physical person that could be with Paul through his trials, they also gave financial gifts to help him in ministry. And their intentional generosity, it was both unique and it was unmatched compared to all the other churches Paul visited. As a result, he chose to close out this letter by remembering their intentional generosity. And one way to express joy is to, for you and I to be intentionally generous as well. And you're going to have an opportunity to do that in a moment. But first, I just want to share with you how your generosity is making a difference. Because of you, the word of God is being preached here and in Medina at the high school every single Sunday. And it's all throughout the week through small groups and uh, through classes. It's being preached well beyond this county to surrounding Northeast Ohio and also to many countries outside the U.S. Did you know that 17% of our annual budget goes directly towards missions? 17%. That's much larger than many other churches. So what's that figure? What's that number? $377,000 this year will go to help financially support 40 different nonprofit organizations and missionaries every month, both locally and abroad. Your gifts are also crucial in aiding those who are down on their luck and they need a little financial assistance through our benevolence program. Every month we have two things. We have a, a food pantry program and home essentials that would not exist without your generosity. Also, these gifts allow the staff to organize and run camps during the summer for kids and for middle school and high school students that are, allow them to connect with Christ in a fun, creative environment. And it's making all the difference because you decide to be intentionally generous and give back to God. So as the baskets are passed today, I ask that you continue to give with an act of joy. Don't give because it's something we do every week. Don't give out of obligation. And if you are a first-time guest or your second or third-time guest, you don't have to give. You don't have to give. I just want you to be encouraged and to know that God is doing some really amazing things right here at Northside through every single one who attends here and who worships here. Now, if you're a member, if you've been coming here for a long time, I hope that today you are inspired to give because you're choosing to rejoice in the Lord for everything that he's done for you. 
Give so that we can keep spreading the gospel here in Wadsworth and Medina and beyond. Give in such a way that your gifts could be described as unique and unmatched. Give with an eternal perspective in mind. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. Father, to preach your word, to share the truth, and God, right now, to give. And so, Father, we celebrate how you're moving. We celebrate the lives that are being changed. Ethan, who just made his decision for Christ, God, we praise you for that. I thank you for every single person in this room who decides to be generous and to give back to you. And God, right now as we give, we pray that you would bless these gifts, multiply them, and use them for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Since the beginning of time, people have pursued all types of things in search for joy. Power, money, sex, addictions, accolades, fame. And every single one of these things might bring a moment of temporary happiness. They might bring a thrill here or there, but they will never give you the eternal joy that you're seeking. Paul understood the difference, and he knew this truth. Jesus gives us true joy, and he unites us to each other. That's why he told the Christians in Philippi, resolve your conflict, make right choices, pray at all times, pursue excellence, and practice generosity. By doing these things actively and intentionally, they increase our joy in this life, but more importantly, in the life to come. So we're gonna end this service, and we're gonna end this series by choosing to celebrate God. We're gonna end on a high note, on a big note. So if you would just stand with me right now, we're gonna sing Glorious Day, very upbeat song about Jesus and the resurrection and the victory that we have in him. And as we do that, if you're here this morning and you have never experienced the true joy of placing your faith in Jesus, you have that opportunity. I'd love for you to come down as we sing so we can talk and pray together. Or if you have something you're struggling with and maybe something I said hit on something in your heart and you want prayer, I'd love to pray for you too. Whatever decision you have, come now as we sing and celebrate our risen Savior.